Welcome to the Surrender Podcast. Surrender is a collective of Christian groups and organisations from across Australia. We work in unity to share Jesus' call to seek his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We create spaces for the sharing of stories that motivate, support and equip people to love their neighbour, share good news and live justly, both locally and globally. Please note, Surrender provides spaces for conversation and storytelling and does not necessarily endorse the personal views of any one presenter. Pastor Ray Minikin is a highly respected Indigenous pastor and leader. He is also director of Bunjil Consultancies, which supports Aboriginal leadership and business initiatives. This is Pastor Ray Minikin's Bible study, where he looks at how we think biblically about constitutional recognition of Australia's First Nations people. This is part one of Pastor Ray's Bible study. Get underway, uh, and so uh, off the cuff, I'm going to introduce Uncle Ray Minicon, who's bringing our Bible study this morning. Uh, and from memory, it was about um, treaty and uh, sovereignty and all of those things, which Uncle Ray, um, I love listening to speak <laughs> about those things. Uh, from my perspective, Uncle Ray is one of our uh, great Aboriginal uh, Christian leaders and a theologian who can take um, his place on any stage in this country. And uh, from my perspective, I'm very excited to have him here at Surrender. Uh, and he's been involved in many different organisations uh, and very much someone that I admire and look up to. So uh, if we can all welcome Uncle Ray. So it's good to see a few of our mob here today. What do we want? When do we want it? Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Ray, I was in a land rights um, rally once. Yeah. This old Aboriginal fellow was walking beside him. What do we want? Land rights. What do we want? He said, I want a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want? Smoke? <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, as an introduction, I just want to say that I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we meet today. Um, who's this mob? Do you know? I know they're part of the Kulin Nation. Wurundjeri? Is this Wurundjeri country out this way? Okay. I just want to acknowledge the Wurundjeri country, uh, people, their elders, both past and present. And uh, I want to acknowledge the beautiful rain that's on their land and the beautiful grass and the trees and beautiful country that they live in here and that they've been custodians of for the last 50, 60 thousands of years. So I honour them, I honour their uh, ancestors, their culture, I honour their future. And uh, in doing that too I just want to acknowledge all the other traditional owners here in the country, in their country from all the different parts of the country that you've come from and from all different parts of the world. So I honour you also that we're all here on Wurundjeri country. I'm from the uh, uh, the Cubby Cubby people on my mother's side or my father's side I should say and uh, I've got my cuss over here another one from my on my father's side that's his brother's my father's brother's uh, uh, son over here as well and uh, we have this relationship with that land around the Glasshouse Mountains you fellas know as and all that country around there Gympie that's Cubby Cubby country that's my grandmother's country on my father's side and uh, there's a little hill there called Borple Mountain and uh, that's my country there that's where we come from the Mary River, that's our river. And those uh, uh, Glasshouse Mountains, they represent the ten, 10 different nation groups or 10 different clan groups of the Cubby Cubby people. North of that is Bundaberg, where I was born. And that's my mother's country there, my, on my mother's side. That's the Gurang Gurang people. And uh, um, my... Uh, Mother's people, uh, well, actually, north of there is a little place called Lomid. And 
both my cuss over here and myself, that's really our heart country, our inheritance also on my mother's side. Actually, my mother's grandfather is buried on our land up there, on that little piece of property called Lomies, we call it. And that piece of land has been in our possession now uh, in terms of the uh, Australian Constitution anyways for the last 130 years. Before that, it was in the hands of my great-great-grandfather and his country. And he's buried on that little piece of property that we call, we call Longway. So that's my heritage. I also, with my Cassia, we share also another heritage. We come from Ambram Island in Vanuatu, West, West Ambram in particular. Actually, the name Minicon comes from that island. So it's traditional of that country. So it's a traditional name from those particular people there. And so we're very privileged to be here on Wurundjeri country here today. Um, I picked one of the most, uh, I guess, complex challenges and complex issues around land rights. Many of us as people in the church um, have challenges around what that means for us here in Australia today in terms of you know, do we need a treaty? What is land rights? The issues of sovereignty? The issues of constitutional recognition? These are very, very important and significant issues that we face. And so I'm glad that there's uh, you've come along here today because we could have some discussions and debates around this, arguments like you would not believe. <laughs> <laughs> but how do we do this as Christians from a biblical or a theological point of view. How do we, we uh, talk about these issues? Very complex and sometimes very perplexing. And I'm going to try and simplify it in terms of a couple of stories. Today, just two stories, maybe three, of uh, two individuals. Tomorrow we'll have a look at a, another story. And then I want to try and wrap it up on Sunday and just look at how does uh, Jesus fit into all of this in terms of the issues that we face here as a nation when we're talking about the issues of land rights and sovereignty and treaty, constitutional recognition, covenanting and a whole range of other words and languages that we, we come up with and sometimes we get so... Uh, caught up with the words that we don't sort of go behind it and try to analyse what we're talking about. So first and foremost, what would be, I'm probably in your road here, but I'm going to, I don't know how else to do this, I can go across here I suppose. But first, what would be our biblical foundations for this story? And there's a scripture here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 7 and 8. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Especially for indigenous peoples. And let me just say first and foremost that when uh, I'm approaching this, I'm, I'm approaching this from a, a perspective also that uh, I've sat at the feet of so many of our elders, Christian elders and other elders throughout our country here. And one of my elders taught me one of the most powerful lessons about studying the scriptures. And uh, his, his, uh, his words to me was this. He says, Ray, the Bible is tribal. And it changed the ways in which I looked at the Bible. I can now look at it through tribal eyes. It comes from a group or a tribe that God had created. You know, the tribe of Judah and all those other tribes who came together to form the nation of Israel. So the Bible is tribal. We need to look at it through those particular eyes. The second thing he says was that Jesus was a tribal man. He came from the tribe of Judah. <laughs> and when you look at his genealogy there in Matthew, as well as in, I think, in Luke, that's very indigenous. 
to trace your heritage back to your ancestors. To know who your ancestors are and to be able to follow through on that. And one of those particular genealogies goes back to Abraham, the other one goes back to Adam. So Jesus knew his genealogy, his tribal identity, and all that he had to offer us as all tribal peoples on this planet, small planet we call Earth. So that's where I'm also coming from as I've been taught and trained by my elders to think about these particular issues from that particular perspective. The Bible is tribal. Jesus is a tribal man. You know, even as uh, Aboriginal people, we know he even had uh, totems. And he called himself the Lion of Judah. <laughs> the Bread of Life. All these different ways in which he expressed who he was and the water of life those kind of aspects that made us understand how he fits into his own tribal system as well he fits into the world tribal systems as the water of life the bread of life as the lamb of god and all of those kind of images that come up we come up with in terms of our tribal identities when I go, for example, amongst my people out there in the Walpri people, I'm Jumper Jumper. That's what they call me, part of that skin group. But as Jumper Jumpers, we have responsibilities for certain areas and certain things within that. So when I go there and I say, oh, I'm Jumper Jumper, they know exactly where I fit, what I'm responsible for, who I'm supposed to talk to, who I can't talk to. That's just the way it is amongst our tribal people. So when I say the Bible is tribal, that's what we're looking at when we come to this particular issue of uh, issues around sovereignty and stuff of that nature. So that's what I'm putting up here, the first text here. Is remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. A very basic text. For his people Israel, he gave them that nation. That was their land. That was the boundaries of their inhabitation. When he came here to the Wurundjeri people, this is their land the boundaries and the borders of the Wurundjeri people. Now this is God-given. When I mention the Cubby Cubby people, I know our boundaries. That's God-given. From, from my father to my grandmother to my great-grandmother, and on it goes. And on my mother's side, that big expanse of land there that encompasses places like Bundaberg and Gladstone, that's my mother's country. That's my country. That's my great-great-great-grandfather's country. He's buried there. And so are my ancestors. So I know who I am. I know where I come from. And so, remember the days of old. We as a nation sometimes forget our past. We've got this amnesia about what happened here. And we as Christians need to make sure that if we're going to be, as uh, Billy was saying this morning, listening, <laughs> we need to listen to the words of Scripture here. Remember the days of old. Consider generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, <clears throat> he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. This, to me, is the basis of when we, what we can start talking about in terms of sovereignty, in terms of treaty, or when you're talking about constitutional recognition, about covenants. This is the starting point. Later on, I'm going to take one of these words out of here, and I guess for this Bible study anyways, I hope you can take away that one word out of this particular study that will help us to continue this dialogue, this discussion, and help us to figure out how we fit into all of these big, big perplexing questions around constitutional recognition, sovereignty, those kind of matters. 
There is a New Testament passage too in Acts. This is when Paul was there at uh, Athens and Mars Hill and he was having this big conversation with the philosophers there. He said, look, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. The Wurundjeri, the Kabi-Kabi, the Walbury, the Kulin Nation, all have already been marked out by our Creator. Now, from this particular story, now I'm going to, we're going to look at two stories, okay? Just to help to help us to get down to the simplicity of what, what it means in terms of sovereignty and those kind of matters. The first story is taken from uh, the Book of Kings, the story of Naboth's vineyard. One day, the king looked out of his, uh, one of his rooms there and he saw this beautiful vineyard right there at the palace gates. And so he went around to Naboth's place, knocked on the door and says, hey, mate, can I buy your vineyard for you? Naboth's response is really the heart of, I think, this issue around sovereignty and native title and all of those kind of things. It's found in, the, in, in, in Naboth's response. And this is what Naboth said to the king. He said, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. The Lord forbid, king, that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. What a powerful statement. What a powerful thing to say to a king who wants to buy his piece of land. He says, I can't do this. I can't sell it to you. It's not mine to give to you. It's not mine to sell because my ancestors gave me this land. Very powerful. Eventually, what happened there, well, the king went back and seen his missus and the missus said, look, I'll get this land for you. And so she went and tricked a few people to stone Naboth to death and then she went back and says, now you can have the land. So she did some very, very, very evil things. She tricked Naboth, not in buying the land, but killed him off, and therefore she could take his inheritance. And because of that, you know the, the story of Jezebel? <laughs> she got punished for that. Actually, the moment this happened, the prophet walked into the king's chambers, Elijah, and says, hey, Mike, you've done something very wrong here. This is evil. This is not right. You cannot take someone else's land. It's just not right. It's against God's laws, God's principles. And so you deserve to be punished. Abraham, uh, Ahab repented, but Jezebel didn't. So both of them got punished anyways in the, in the long run. Just think of that. Just keep that in the back of your mind. God forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. It's a very powerful statement because it comes into my next story. I think it's the driver behind this old fella here, old Koiki Mabo. One day he was uh, up there in James Cook University and he was telling one of the professors there about his land, James Cook University in Townsville. And so the professor there, Henry Reynolds, had to try to let Koike know that the land he reckons he owned was actually not his. It was owned by the Crown. Now, 
different to the Naboth story where the king went and asked him to purchase the land, here he had no idea that the land that he had didn't belong to him. And it was, in his mind, unthinkable. And I can almost hear, when he heard these words, the voice of Naboth saying, hey, hang on a sec, God forbid that I should give you the crown, the inheritance of my ancestors. And so very powerfully, he decided to go and prove in the court of law, in the Queen's court, the Crown's court, that this was his land. It took him 10 years. I mean, it was two, two cases. The first case, once he declared this into the High Court, then the Queensland Government under Bielke Joe Peterson said, well, hang on a sec, we're going to make a law. And they made this law that claimed the whole of the coastal regions in retrospect. And so what Corky had to do was then take it to an, another court to say, well, hang on, what Bielke Joe Peterson has done contradicts the laws of the Commonwealth. And so a fight went on in the courts over who owns this land. And in the end, after years of hearings, the court handed down its decision. And they made these four, three declarations. The first declaration here. This is the order of the court. When it was all finished and when it was all done, right at the end of that hearing, you'll see these four things, the order. In lieu of answering the question reserved for the consideration of the full court, one, the full court declares that the land in the, in Mur in the Murray Islands is not crown land within the meaning of the term in Section 5 of the Land Act of 1962. You need to read that. Number two, we also declare that putting to one side the islands of Dewar and Weir and the parts of land leased to the trustees of the Australian Board of Missions and those parcels of land, if any, which have val validity, validly been appropriated for use for administrative purposes, the use of which is inconsistent with the continued enjoyment of the rights and privilege of the Miriam people under native title, declare that the Miriam people are entitled as against the whole world to possession, to occupation, use and enjoyment of the lands of the Marianas. That's the second declaration. The third declaration is they declared that the title of the Miriam people is subject to the power of the Parliament of Queensland and the power of the Governor and Council of Queensland to extinguish that title by valid exercise of their respective powers, provided any exercise of those powers is not inconsistent with the laws of the Commonwealth. And so in this last part here is where the Racial Discrimination Act of 1975 came into play in this particular court case. And so what uh, Bielke Peterson has done was inconsistent with the national law. And so therefore, the ruling was, I love this phrase, I love this phrase, the order of the High Court. We declare that the Miriam people are entitled as against the whole world to possession, to occupation, to use and enjoyment of the lands of the Marianas. So what Koike set out to do and prove he could say to the crown, to the queen, nah, God forbid that I should give you <laughs> the inheritance of my ancestors. That's what he proved. Native title now, out of that came native title. I won't talk about native title, we won't get into the details of that. But out of this particular decision, this declaration here, these three declarations by the High Court, We've got this huge big thing called native title now, where we too have to do the same thing that Koike done and prove that we have these cultural connections and all kinds of things. If any of you here have gone through this particular process, you know what I'm talking about. 
if any of you haven't been through any of these particular issues, then please, we're still trying to figure out how we have to prove native title when it's already our land. And so we have these debates and discussions around the issues of how we settle this particular matter. And so many of our people are saying, well, hang on a sec. If the order of the court has said that this possession, occupation, use and enjoyment of the lands as against the whole world, then that must be sovereignty. If that's sovereignty, then we need to have a treaty. It just goes to make sense. And so you can see the, the major issues here in terms now of how we start to settle this big dispute or argue this big discussion or dispute around who owns the land. And how then do we, we as Aboriginal people, as I, as a cubby cubby man, Am I entitled as against the whole world to the possession, to the occupation, use and enjoyment of my country up there in my cubby cubby country? Well, we're still going through native title <laughs> to prove that. As well as on my Gurang side, my mother's side too. We still got to go for this court of law to prove to the Crown that, hey, we've got connection here. This is our country we still have these connections to it. And they come back and say, well, hang on a sec. <laughs> and so this argy-bargy goes on in the courts to try to determine who owns the land. So if you're a native title lawyer here today, I've tried to bring it down to its very briefest and simplest form. <laughs> or even if you are a lawyer, just to help us to understand as a, from a Christian viewpoint that remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father. Koiki did. We did. Many people are going through native title are doing the same thing. Going back into their story, their history. Jesus couldn't be Jesus if he didn't have that heritage. If he didn't have that genealogy, he'd have been just an ordinary man like you and me. You know, one of the most uh, watched shows now on SBS is that, uh, what do they call it? You know, they go into their ancestry. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Yeah. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Fascinating show. But really, if you look at it from an indigenous perspective, that's how you prove native title. Who do you think you are? And so we have to go back to our fathers and our forefathers and our elders and our grandparents to find out that when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up the boundaries. We know those boundaries. So these are the challenges that we face in terms of this issue around uh, native title, sovereignty, treaty, covenanting. Now we as Christians also know that because of Jesus we do have an inheritance and I just want to focus in on that one little word inheritance. Because it's the key to unlocking this whole story God forbid, said Naboth, that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And in every native title claim, we hear the same thing. God forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. If you go out into some of these tribal areas, Warapri people, far north Queensland, wherever, the people, the old people will take their children out and say, oh look, that's your grandmother's country. That's your grandfather's country there. 
That's your inheritance. That's what you're responsible for. Native title hasn't killed that. We haven't mentioned the word terra nullius here, but that's what the whole thing about uh, one of the things that Mabo did. It got rid of that whole notion that nobody lived here. But well, we already knew that. We lived here. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, we've got to prove now that we did live here. <laughs> and it just doesn't make sense. It goes against this basic scriptural principle that God gave us this country. God gave us our land. God gave us those boundaries in which we live. And now we're trying to work out how then do we deal with each other? How do we work together in a country that landed here in 1788, said nobody lived here, took over the whole land, put up their uh, land rights flag and said this is ours. No matter who lived here before, you do not exist anymore. This is not your country. You see how it goes against the biblical principles of what God had already ordained. So when we're talking about these issues, we're talking about one of the greatest crimes in history. This is an act of criminality beyond understanding. I shouldn't say that because if you look at the biblical text, there is deep understanding. And that word inheritance comes out very strong here in this. It's the cultural practice, whether it's black or white or brindle or Asian or whatever, it's the cultural practice of passing on your property to your family, to your next generation. But what you're passing on came from your ancestors, from your forefathers titles, even my name. I didn't make up my name. <laughs> it's been passed on to me. It's an inheritance that I have. And if I go back to that little island called Ambram Island and go to a certain place, they'll tell you, hey, this is your country. This is your land. This is where you come from. That's because my grandfather was taken from there and brought over this side. In all of this here, see, it's a rights and obligations upon the death of that individual. I told you about my little piece of land up there that's been in our family clan for the last 130 years. You know, if I take you there today, we have in there, my grandfather's buried there. We just repatriated my grandmother and brought her back there. She died somewhere else. She's buried on that land. My mother's grandfather is buried on that land. My auntie is buried on that land. My father, my mother is buried on that land. My nephews are buried on that land. That's my heritage, my inheritance. And with that inheritance comes that responsibility of, you know, we call it custodianship. But I'm the custodian of that. So too is my cuss over here. We're custodians of that particular piece of land. Or if I go amongst the Walpuri people or any other tribal people, they say, oh, that's my grandmother's country or my grandfather's country. They're the custodians, the stories, and the land, and the places to make sure that future generations can inherit what their ancestors have passed on to them. So this is the heart and the soul of land rights is this word inheritance. We can't get away from it. Every family on the planet has some kind of inheritance that has been passed on to them. But in this particular instance, we're talking not about our names, but we're talking about our country. When Jesus died and rose again, he gave us an inheritance too. He adopted us into his family. And through that adoption, we also became heirs. Heirs of God, heirs of Christ. Joint heirs or co-heirs. Co co-heirs. We've inherited something from him.
<laughs> Hebrews 9 says, you know, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So we have this bigger inheritance because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So for me as an indigenous person, when I talk about the Bible is tribal, that Jesus is a tribal man, look at the inheritance that he has given us. Including my land and my land rights. And so these two stories blend together to help us to understand, first and foremost, in this particular study anyways, the foundations of what it means these issues around sovereignty and stuff. I'm going to stop there. You might have a question, or comment, or throw something at me, whatever. asking a big question there. <laughs> Any of you more wiser people than me? I mean, as a Christian, we all inherit the same things that because of what Jesus has done. And this huge big family, we, 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 really, we really have belittled the sacrifice of Jesus. And one of the problems of Western theology is it's taken this huge big act of God huge, beyond imagination, and reduced it down to some individual experience. And so when we're confronted with this, we're saying, hey, hang on a sec, this is not biblical. <laughs> and we've been told as Aboriginal people many times, you know, your land rights is in heaven. Well, we know that, but it's also here too. Yeah, so I haven't, look, We'll continue that, that particular story because tomorrow we have to look at some other, other aspects of this story because you have to understand its full impact. And I've only spoken today about the Mabo decision. There are other court cases and other things that we haven't even brought into the conversation here today. But there are also other acts in history that also impact upon this story that which you have to understand. And it's not about whether we can adopt you or not. It's about how then do we work and live together to ensure that there is equity and all those other kinds of issues around justice that we've always been fighting for. But one of the biggest issues for us as Indigenous peoples is that for us, even though Mabo might have knocked out Terra Nullius, in the ways in which policies work in this country, Terra Nullius still exists. people were taken from their land and put into missions or stolen and given to white families. And so it seems that there's so much wrong done and everything is set up against you achieving ownership again of your country. Um, mm. yeah. And that's why we all always been saying, what do we want? Land rights. When do we want it? And what's the new word that we're looking for? <laughs> Treaty. Yeah. You can understand now why we want or are seeking ways in which we can get a treaty. Now, what is that treaty? You know, the, the, uh, the details of it, we probably won't have time to even discuss that. Yeah. But we'll go back into that again tomorrow. Yeah. But that's what we're after, is the recognition of our sovereignty, 
and a treaty. And we'll also talk about constitutional recognition and how that fits into this big, complex debate that we're presently going through. And uh, you younger generation here is, will inherit this particular conversation, I think, for a while longer. And we as our, you know, your father, forefathers, I suppose, we need to help you to understand, lay the foundation so that you can have a very good understanding of what we're talking about. The takeaway from this particular study this morning, that one word, inheritance. Inheritance. That legacy from the past. That's what we're on about. My legacy, my, my inheritance. That land that I told you about there in Lomid, even he can't buy it. I can't buy it. I can't even sell it. If the Crown came in there and tried to compulsorily acquire it tomorrow, Ray Minicon would be on the warpath because I have to protect my inheritance. There's one here. Um, We have a thing in South Australia that a lot of people from our area have been fighting for years called the letter patent. Yes. Um, and, and it was um, when South Australia was first um, established, they had to get a declaration from the King of England. So uh, what King George responded to was that Mm. Um, that he said that provided all, always that nothing in those uh, letters patent, letters patent contained shall affect or be construed to affect the rights of any Aboriginal native of the said province to the actual occupation or enjoyment in their own persons or in the persons of their descendants of any land therein now actually occupied or enjoyed by such natives. So he actually made a declaration and sent it to South Australia mm. to the new governor mm. That's um, right. the new, new parliament of, of South Australia um, they never they, they didn't um, work mm. um, and, and that's been a fight that's been happening for years mm. in, our, in our area mm. um, nothing's really come of it but I guess when I read it I, and I think if you don't And in the process, denied you your inheritance yeah, rights. Yeah, and so people are fighting. I mean, we've, we've lost five leaders now. But the interesting thing is, God hasn't laid it down. He continues to keep that mm. on our mm. radar. Um, mm. yeah. so God, is, God is interested in the land, all through the Bible. Yeah. response to that too, I mean, we, we don't have time to get into all of these particular er issues, but remember that when, um, uh, uh, that every state in Australia, e except the Northern Territory and the ACT, are their own colony. They've got their own constitution. They are actually, under the, under the Crown law, the actual property owners, the managers of the land, is in there because they've got their boundaries. Now, like we read here, well, New South Wales have got its boundaries. South Australia has got its boundaries. And that's under the South Australian government, not under the federal government. You've got to remember that. Because the federal government is set up from within the colonies. And so the federal government doesn't have what you would call uh, land ownership over the, uh, and management over the country. It's the various states that have that kind of power. 
and they've already defined their boundaries. Just a, a comment um, about the God-given principle about the boundary principle. Maybe we ought to, we as Aboriginal nations should be offering to those who have come here a treaty, our treaty. Maybe we're thinking from the wrong way. Right? Mm. We shouldn't be waiting for them to write us a treaty. Mm. We should be offering. offering a treaty to them. And we are the host nation. We have the power to do that. <coughs> And if you look at uh, Michael Anderson, what they're doing up there in his country, as well as uh, Brother Boy up there in Cairns, that's the process that they're following now in terms of offering the people within their boundaries. One of the things, I just came from a, a, a conference there with Michael and them, and one of the things that he mentioned, which I thought was fascinating, a fascinating idea to, to talk about amongst uh, you know, our Indigenous nation groups, and that is that we need to come up with what you what we would call a republic of Aboriginal nations. And if we could think on those terms, we would be getting to where we need to be. And base it upon the model of, of Switzerland with the 150 different cantons. It's a completely different democracy to the one that we have where we've got a you know, two-party preferred system of government. They have a completely different way of operating or you know, making democracy work for their country. But we need to look at those kind of models of democracy rather than the system that we have now, this two-party preferred system, really doesn't augur well for the ways in which we can do what uh, Tom's saying there. But if, for example, the Cubby Cubby people, and I've sent all the stuff up to them, mob, <laughs> it's form our own nation. But you know, you've got to get your people on side and sometimes our people, sadly, and I'm going to be honest with my, about my own mob there, they'll go out and do all these walks and country walks and all that for the money, then they'll go back and watch days of our lives, you know? And I get frustrated with that and annoyed with that. And I, can't know, I don't know how to wake our mob up, shake our mob up. And so I know the way that uh, uh, I'm looking at what Michael Anderson done for his his mob and he woke his mob up, helped them understand that this native title business is not the end result we have to go for a treaty. Someone else had a... I just wanted to clarify something you said before, so um, you said about treaty, uh, that we're now asking for treaty, just in case people don't come back, even though they all should come back for the rest of the season. <laughs> uh, put it out there, I've memorised all your faces. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, thank you. We'll talk about treaties, hopefully, tomorrow. Yeah. I'm Rich Cash, the mighty lad on my grandfather's side, and the mumbra on my grandmother's side. Um, one of the things for me is that um, part of the place is going back to country. I guess for me, I've been a little bit arrogant. I've enjoyed people's property boundaries and just went back to country and did what I needed to do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. argument um, and how does one in terms of that understanding that you've got comes under God and 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, and I'm going to address that one tomorrow. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Can you wait for us tomorrow? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hope you're getting something out of this. Yeah. We don't talk about these big issues. We always talk about, you know, you've got to be born again stuff. And I, I have difficulties with that message, honestly, and I'll say, tell you why. Because, you know, living in Sydney there in Redfern there, we used to have all these evangelists coming in, you know, week after week, coming to save our mob. And so I used to pull them up and say, well, I've got a theological problem with this, biblical issue, can you help me? I said, how many times do you have to be born again to be born again? (laughs) Because when they come in, the same person goes out the front, gives their heart to Jesus, next week they're doing the same thing. But you see, that's the only message we've been given. We've narrowed it down to that. And we ourselves as Aboriginal people, we've got to start thinking a little bit more different. This message is much more bigger than we've ever thought or imagined. And I know we've been trained that way or brainwashed that way, (laughs) but we've got to challenge ourselves to think differently and really reread the scriptures in a different way. Uh, tomorrow we'll look at uh, uh, two other stories which I think will impact upon our discussions again because there is no simple solution to this but we're looking for a godly answer. I can bring you some simplicity around it but trying to find a way through it is a little bit more complicated. But you have to understand its simplicity to be able to walk through it to get to where we want to go. Okay. I think that's time, eh? Bless the Lord. This is one of many conversations recorded live at Surrender 16. We hope you found this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. Please check in with us at surrender.org.au for more resources and opportunities to engage and connect with our wider movement.